everyone, and welcome. This is episode 303 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined by, once again, Ryan, and uh, hopefully uh, cleaned up all the puke in his house, Paul. How's it going? <laughs> so we never actually, uh, we had we had a scare. It was close. We had a lot of toilet oh, hugging, okay. but uh, we managed to keep it all down and seem to be feeling better now. So uh, that was good. That was good. We avoided that. Mostly a good day for that reason. There we go. Yeah, yeah it, it's been a minute since we started with a puking story. So, you know, yep. I feel like there's been a good run lately. So I, I'm glad the streak is intact. That's great. <laughs> Ryan, how's your weekend been? Good. I have tomorrow off. So I will be uh, uh, like staying up late to edit this and all that. And so I'm not under the normal time crunch on a Sunday night where I'm like, oh, I need to go to sleep early. So I uh, <laughs> I woke up early for Liverpool this morning. They won. I watched the Packers. They won. I watched the Brewers. And uh, then I went to a, a bluegrass festival that had <laughs> a bunch of really good stuff up at Kewaskum. And I was uh, it was it was very out of nowhere. Uh, apparently, Amy had put it on the calendar and I had not seen it. And she's like, do you want to go to that thing? And I'm like, this was when the Packers were down 17 to nothing. <laughs> And the Brewers were down 6-1. I'm like, hell yes, get me out of the house. Get out of here. Yeah. So we were listening to it on the drive up. So that was that was kind of cool to, to be able to catch that. <laughs> Though I was getting the updates from Amy in the passenger seat going, ah, the Cubs are winning now. The Cubs are winning. And it, like, uh, yeah. And, and the uh, Rockies being unable to push anything across. So, yeah. yeah. They're so Not bad. surprising, but yes. No, it, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions, and I will admit that I turned the Packer game off when it was seventeen to nothing in the fourth quarter. Oh, so really quick uh, before we yeah. move to baseball, yeah. I was actually in charge of the write up today for Acme Packing Company, oh, and no. I was doing it at my daughter's soccer game. It was a roller <laughs> roller coaster day for the for the daughter, um, and uh, I pre wrote like at halftime, like okay, this is going to be a loss. We'll get this all done, except for you know the numbers and stuff. And it was done, and I was done, and I was like, okay, I don't have to get home or, and get to my computer. And then it turned into just a mad scramble, as it does when your pre-writes go wrong, and yep. had to rewrite it from scratch, and <laughs> which is good. I mean, fine, better than the alternative for sure. But uh, it, it was like a good half hour-ish of my time that I have 45 minutes that I didn't expect to have wasted. <laughs> yeah, that's so. a much happier way to have that go. Uh, do you remember yeah. in the Ken Burns docu baseball documentary when Marcos Brenton is telling the story of having to delete the the Giants win the World Series story from 2002? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and talking about how it's like the most sickening feeling for a writer oh, in the world. Man. When you yes, finally, it is. When you've written it's it up gross. and you've got it, and especially when you're emotionally invested, and then you have to hit the delete button. Yeah, but at least this is the reverse of that. So this is the happy yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, much happier. Still like, stressful, sure. but yeah. Yeah, it, it's basically a reverse of what happened in Atlanta last week, but uh, I'll leave that to you guys to talk about on reporting as <laughs> eligible. Uh, a short week for you guys as well. Oh, yeah, we're actually recording tomorrow. That reminds me. I'm going to post questions in the Patreon right now while James is talking. All right, <laughs> let's do that. Um, a reminder, too, to look out in the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash mketailgate. Uh, two bucks a month guarantees that you get your questions answered both here on this podcast and on the Packers reporting as eligible one five bucks gets you that little perk plus some additional exclusive content including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson of Rotowire and Paul's Packers mini pods Paul actually did an extra one this past week kind of sure did laughing at the uh, Bears crazy 
uh, week that did not get any better in front of Taylor. Yeah, Swift. like I recorded it about the Tuesday, and then they had all their lawn equipment stolen on Wednesday. Like it just, yeah, incredible, yeah. honestly. Amazing, amazing. Uh, so sign up just to listen to that if if you want to. Uh, you'll also get the uh, uh, mini pod a little early this week because the Packers play on Thursday. So Paul's kind of yep. cramming everything in. Paul's got a weird week and stuff's going to be all over the place. So yeah, we're recording on <laughs> Monday for reporting as eligible. Mini pod will be like on Wednesday. And then, uh, you know, get, I, I get the mini buy too, just like the Packers do. So there you go. It'll all work out. Think of it that way. And then, Ryan, you and James are kind of doing your minor league season wrap up this week. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the season that was. And honestly, I was just thinking about this today when I was driving and I was going, I don't know that it could have gone any better than it has. Like, honestly, like, yeah, there there are things that could have gone a little bit better here and there. But like, this is like a 90th, 95th percentile outcome for the Brewers minor league season so this should be pretty fun to talk about from that perspective I mean just uh based on Jackson Churio becoming like a generational prospect alone or, or at least proving his medal there in double a I feel like it's a great success but then you had quite a few other breakouts too so definitely should be a lot of fun to talk about yeah you have to get down to like I don't know out of the top 10 before you start talking about a guy who had a bad season like legitimately didn't do well this year uh basically mm-hmm. everybody in the top 10 had good seasons and that's always somewhat the case because guys who have good seasons tend to move up rankings guys who have bad seasons tend to move down but i i you'd be hard pressed to find a guy i guess uh um ebj would be like the the worst case scenario here and his season was just really mixed it wasn't like a truly you know uh total awful lost season it just he was hurt and he didn't produce as much as you would think but I mean, other than that, like there aren't many guys in that that top group that had like anything that would pass for a down season. Most had remarkably good seasons. So that's uh, that's going to be fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely looking forward to listening to that once that's out later this week. Even if you're not a patron, important to remember, you can support us another way. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this right now. Give us a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button or follow button, whatever they call it on that platform. Make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, You can also check us out on YouTube as well. Uh, We'll post these and some other clips there uh, throughout the week in case you miss the show. So, uh, I guess we can call this the uh, playoff celebration episode because the Brewers Woo. did clinch, indeed, their fifth playoff appearance in six years uh, uh, this past Friday night. They did that 16-1 uh, to 1 trouncing over the <laughs> Miami Marlins. Uh, saw Roddy Telez on the mound for the final out, so that's a nice little footnote for history there. We've got some questions about that coming up. And I don't know if there was some mild champagne hangovers the rest of the series. Uh, Marlins kind of took the last two games fairly easily. The Cubs also took care of business against the Rockies. That means the Brewers are still trying to clinch the division title. That magic number still at one uh, to close this week out. They'll get a chance to do it at home, though, against the Cardinals on Tuesday. So maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know. Uh, but let's let's start, Paul, with you. Any worries about you know, complacency now that the division titles basically assured over the last couple of years or a couple of weeks here. Not really. Uh, I think the sort of post clinching thing does happen once in a while. Just uh, it's a, it's a funny feeling. Your urgency is changed and it's not like the season's over, but it's a little bit of celebration and a little bit of non-standard just hype is probably warranted, not hype, but motivation is probably warranted. 
And this happens to every team that makes the playoffs, especially well in advance. And they will, I'm sure, especially when they get home, get back down to business, focus on getting rest and setting up the rotation and, you know, actually take care of business and finish things off. But no, they're not going to get complacent. This will be totally fine. And, you know, it's worth celebrating that the season has gone so well and that they have clinched the playoffs this far in advance of the end of the season. You know, so you got to actually make the division happen. But, like, this is a great spot to be, and I don't think they're going to take it lightly. They should be fine. Yep, 100% agree on that. And honestly, like, complacency is a hard thing because it depends how you want to define it. But, like, they took their foot off the gas last weekend already there was there was sort of a visible thing once they started managing the bullpen a little bit differently they've been on kind of a rotation now where guys are not really pitching uh it, it's somewhat related to role and like Devin Williams is still only appearing for like save situations that part of it is still true but they have been sort of rotating their bullpen arms in a way that you just normally they don't and you could sort of see that they've been like extra cautious I think they were very cautious with Christian Yelich throughout that time where they were like oh he probably could have come back earlier than he did and they just kept resting him until he felt really good because there was just really no need to get him back out there and we should mention um, I know he he didn't do well on Sunday but uh, he had two doubles and two home runs including one absolute monster shot to dead center which technically doesn't count for our did he pull it thing but like yeah nope. that's, <laughs> it, that's pretty close to a, a pull like and especially just the fact that he hit it that hard to dead center yep. is you know super impressive so he had himself a good weekend and showed that he still has some some pop in the bat which is good he did pull a double down the line uh, on saturday afternoon so there's they have that going for them which is good to see him kind of coming back because that's been a big question he had been scuffling even before the back issues cropped up so we're we're happy to see that like that's that's good um but really they had already kind of taken their foot off the gas to an extent here and basically from that point they went out and won four of of seven on the road including you know the trip through Miami which was a obviously a team in the midst of a playoff race here and in in much more desperate situation than the brewers are in and they were able to take two out of three but yeah i i just i think that the the complacency thing they've already sort of been managing this and i think will ramp themselves back up uh no problem also think uh it's important to note this was the tail end of uh, 17 games straight without a day off too so probably Mm -hmm. natural that they would kind of hit the skids toward the end of it there but still definitely impressive as you said ryan that they kind of took care of business on the front end of that road trip too and now they've got monday off and they can kind of reset for the last few series here so definitely exciting times still looking ahead we've got a ton of questions to get to so let's get it started with alex lamers who's asking the brewers have made the playoffs seven times now in the adonacio era but only have won two of eight series that they've appeared in during the same span Obviously, we don't know who we'll face yet, but how would you rate our chances of at least advancing one round? Are you more or less optimistic than some of those other years? So, you know, I've seen this kind of come up a bit uh, in the last week or so as the Brewers got close to that. Like, oh, yeah, it's supposedly the most successful run in franchise history, but they've only won two series. And I I think I know where you guys stand on this, but uh, Paul, uh, where do you weight that? And uh, 
I guess, how much do they need to win at least one series to kind of quiet that? Well, first of all, it's hard to control this. There's another team playing against you. So, um, and, and frequently it's a really good team. There have been a couple of, I would say, chokes as far as you can have chokes in baseball sure. in those. But, you know, by and large, just winning and losing series is mostly random chance. But they're going to be playing a team that they are ranked ahead of they have a good chance to get one that i think is objectively worse but even those are 50 50 shots a lot of the time um that all of that said i think they have a great odds to actually do this i don't think it really like it does matter like it, it does this is why we actually watch in our fans to actually like get far and maybe win a world series so it does matter and especially it matters from a fan perspective i know we're all nerds here and we're like eh, it's all just random blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then, yes that is true uh but they should be the better team in the first round. They will likely have an advantage of having set up their pitching staff in the first round. They will likely have an advantage of what doing what Ryan just said, resting guys like Yelich for the last two weeks to get his back right. Like This puts them in a good position to win a series at least going into the playoffs. And so they should, and it's important that they do, but sometimes crap just happens too. Like the Washington wildcard game. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think this fits like kind of right in the middle for me because there are years when they had to like scrape their way in uh, 2008, you know, through injuries, (laughs) CC Samathia, yeah, (laughs) scraping their way in in 2008. And they felt like that pretty much they they had run their race, as they say in in English footballing, like they had they had run their race at that point and they were pretty much gassed at that point. I I think you could kind of say the same thing about 2019 in a, a different way because their MVP, their, I mean, true, like, league MVP, should have been true league MVP, Christian Yelich, you know, has his kneecap broken, and yet they still can't lose in in, uh, in September and manage to go, I mean, that's the year of where we coined Craig Timber and, like, where that all really <laughs> happened, though it was a repeat in large part of what also happened in 2018. But, yeah, like, so those years it was kind of down – and then there were years where, like, you, they clinched early and were able to rest guys, like 2011, where that felt pretty good. You know, that was that was good. 2018, they were just on an insane hot streak and everything was clicking, and they really just rode that hot streak right into the uh, into the NLCS against the Dodgers. So, because they they dispatched the Rockies in three there, so like they just they cruised through that one, and then. It like 2021 was a weird one because so many guys got hurt down the stretch. Like they were on pace for a hundred wins and then just really started losing a lot in those last couple weeks of the season and just didn't get the offense cranked up uh, to go. And the other thing too, to remember is the Brewers have this penchant for losing to the, the team that got hot and goes on to win the world series. Also a good Bro- point. Yeah. They've run Bro- into the juggernaut yeah. a couple times there more yeah. than a couple. Yeah. The Phillies in 08, the Cardinals in 2011, the Dodgers went obviously went to the World Series, but did not win it in 2018 because they ran into another juggernaut of their own in the uh, in the Dodgers. But 2019, the Nationals, they got hot and and won it all. 2021, the Braves got hot and won it all. So, you know, they've they've run into their share of just buzzsaws where those were the teams that got hot in, in those postseasons. So hopefully it will be the Brewers turn to do that this year, uh, but it's really just kind of impossible to say. Uh, a couple more questions along this, this line of kind of taking the historical view of the recent stretch of success. Patrick 
Detmer is asking, do you think Brewers fans, especially those who were here for the Lopes, Royster, and Maka regimes, <laughs> have taken this consistent success the team has had over the past six years for granted just because they haven't won the pennant? Sub-question, as someone who has endured frequent postseason disappointments rooting for Wisconsin sport teams, can you give me your best sales pitch as to why this year will be different? So, Paul, a couple couple of things there have we kind of taken this stretch for granted and why is this year different i don't think people have taken it for granted i do think people um assign different value to like winning the division and getting and winning the division and getting you know the advantages of doing so versus squeaking in as a wild card and play in in the past playing in the one game wild card and stuff like that and i i think that's proper and fine because it's objectively better to win the division and actually be a real team going in versus just squeaking in by the chin of your whatever at the last minute. I forget the hair of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with that. Um, oh, before you go on, though, I wanted to build on this a little bit because uh, I think there is something here about an there's an age gap. And I think a lot of it has to do with people who are old enough to really have in their mind that like very few baseball teams make the playoffs i mean some people are old enough to remember when only one team did right that wasn't that long ago that was 1968 boomers have memory of those times uh and and then for the longest time for our childhoods um really it was until i was a teenager it was only four teams make the playoffs and you had to be really legitimately very good and some great teams like 100 win teams occasionally got bounced because they finished second to you know another juggernaut and there was no wild card and all yeah, those the things. wild card is a recent invention that yeah. is absolutely true and so baseball used to be the the playoffs used to be a much more exclusive club and just making the playoffs was thus a much much bigger deal and baseball has done away with that for both good and ill there's there's positives and negatives to that but like they have changed that. And so I think for some people who are a little bit older, like the idea of success in the regular season still means more. Whereas I think for younger fans, like it very much seems to be like uh, the playoffs are kind of the only thing that matters. I think there are a lot of people who just basically don't pay much attention until it even gets to the point that the team is like going to be making the playoffs and then maybe they'll pay attention, you know, over the summer leading in or whatever, but I think some of that does go on. And it, like baseball has wrought a lot of that by how they've chosen to do things. So yeah. that's not a, a knock on those people. It's a knock on, it, it, it's not even necessarily a knock. It's just baseball has changed how that functions a little bit. Yeah. As for while why they will possibly do better, um, being the team that has squeaked in has definitely cost them in the past uh, by not having to set up the rotation and by completely grinding their bullpen into dust just to get in and having to throw pitchers out there that have no business being out there. Uh, I, like I think it was Brent Suter against the Dodgers that kind of did it for me where, you know, he's a good pitcher, but if you put him up against a bunch of all-stars who can hit not 98 mile an hour fastballs very easily, it goes very poorly, very quickly. And uh, in this instance, the Brewers are going to be fully loaded and they're not the Braves and they're not the Dodgers, but their top three pitchers are as good as anybody else's in baseball. And three pitchers can shut down really good lineups and, and gives you a fighting chance here. So um, as to why, as long as they don't do anything stupid, like, like half choke this away and ha- if they don't. So 
the thing they have to avoid doing is the getting Devin up in the bullpen version of the whole season. Like you can't, you can't just have a garbage like pitcher yeah. let the Cubs back into it with four games to go, so that you have to go all out to get them out. And that's probably not going to happen because we're really close to that not happening. But as long as they can set up the rotation and get everybody healthy, um, they're going in fully loaded and they're going to be one of the best teams out there. Yeah, and they are setting up the rotation. That is, that's what they're doing here. They've they've already sort of said that they're going to do that. But we have a question coming up on that yeah. in a moment here, so we'll save that. But uh, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. That is the thing that gives the Brewers the puncher's chance here. One hundred percent, it is that rotation and the depth in the bullpen. Uh, all of that is just their pitching depth in general. That's what gives them the puncher's chance here at winning. And it's, yeah. it's really hard to imagine a scenario where they aren't like the headline story of a of a magical run to or to win a World Series. Like it's probably going to be those guys. Remember the way that like the the 2005 White Sox just like uh, rotation to their way to a World Series yeah. win. Just complete game, complete game. That's- yeah. It's like a weird season. Right. And it won't be, look exactly like that from the Brewers because they will rely on their bullpen. I mean, that it's just the game has changed enough since 2005 that that has changed. But also, I want to make a, a point about the offense here, too, which people who follow me on Twitter saw. I was talking about this on uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, and this has now gone down a little bit after. Well, they scored four on Saturday and then they scored one today. So these numbers have, have inched down, but not not dramatically. Yeah. Um, the MLB average offense is scoring 4.64 runs per game this year. And the Brewers had going into Saturday's game 4.56. Um, so yep. they were in 16th place in the league in terms of runs per game. So they were pretty much average in terms of, of runs per game. Now you can, you can go and look at like how they've outproduced that. That has definitely outproduced their season long OPS plus, which is 92, those sorts of things like they have done that and that has been you know better than what you'd expect but then you look at like they're also second in MLB allowing 4.01 runs per game or that was what they were at coming into yesterday so that is the formula and if you want to see a team that did this the 2010 Giants are the team they were 17th in runs scored and they were second in runs allowed and they you know, basically hotted their way to a, a World yeah. Series title in 2010. It can be good enough. And I know we have questions dealing with this later, but the Brewers have set themselves up well to be a team that can that can do that. Mm-hmm. All you really need is is that one or two guys to kind of get crazy hot, as as you guys referenced there. And Logan Interdahl kind of has a question related to this, or at least I should say a sub-question related to that. Uh, first question is... Uh, is the back back to back status? And then <laughs> the sub question, if you will, is if Josh Donaldson can do this one homer every six plate appearances <laughs> trick and Yelly looks refreshed, then this offense could actually compete in the playoffs, right? Right. Uh, so, Ryan, let's start with you. Is the back back to back? Yeah, I think the back is back. And. Uh, is back to not being an issue, hopefully. Uh, he, he looked really good. There was that scary moment. I don't know, guys, if you saw on Saturday afternoon, he slipped, his feet went out from under him, and he kind of fell hard on his butt, lower back, um, going for a ball in the 
on the warning track in left field. And they then put him into the DH spot for today and had Canna play left field. And that's yep. exactly what you should do in this situation. Like, don't, oh, yeah. don't take any risks. Don't do anything. But, yeah, it looks like he has gotten himself kind of turned around. The, the thing with Yelich that really is our indicator, because the, the plate appearances are always kind of good. Like, he does go through some ups and downs where he's a little bit easier to get out than other times. But even, even when he's bad, like when he was struggling in August, he was still taking a ton of walks. So, there, like, that part of things generally doesn't go. What drives him is when he's hitting the ball hard and when he's not like and when he's elevating at some like he did on Friday and Saturday and is hitting some extra base hits that's when you see like Yelich you know is is reminiscent of of really good Yelich from days gone by and seeing that over the course of a couple games had to make you feel good I mean it made me feel very very good yeah I agree I'm not sure I need more evidence of the back being back i think before i declare anything but early signs are good and how they've handled this is extremely smart so you know they clearly understand that they need or at least it would be super valuable to have yelich back to normal for this run and they seem committed to doing whatever it takes to get them there so yeah i I think it's fair to say that even if we're at small sample size level so far that they kind of know what they're doing and they'll do what they can. If the back gives out, so be it. Old people with bad backs, that happens. Um, but they're doing they're doing the right thing, and it looks good so far. Definitely some load management down yes. down the stretch here. From as as we're seeing, uh, Brian Polakowski. Next question, saying, officially playoff bound. What's the rotation look like through the rest of the year and the wild card series? Sub question: Where are we riding if Council doesn't win Manager <laughs> of the Year? Uh, so, Ryan, let's take this one first from you. What's the rotation look like? Yeah, so it actually got announced by McAlvey, and I was talking about it a little bit this afternoon. Oh, there we go on Twitter. So. Uh, they're going to run out um, Miley Hauser and Burns. So for the the St. Louis series, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which sets Burns up pitching on Thursday. He will be pitching on regular four days rest uh, on Tuesday to open the the um, the playoffs. Yep. So that's how that sets up. That's how they're going to do it. And there was some question about this. Remember, in 2006, they were hemming and hawing about a lot of people wanted them to bring Burns back on short rest Mm -hmm. for that game four against Atlanta. That ended up being the clincher. And they were like, well, no, we haven't even used him. He's gotten like five days rest all year this year, because remember, that's the year coming off of COVID. They were really careful in managing guys innings. And. So like they basically hardly pitched anybody on four days rest. Everybody was getting that extra fifth day. So they, to the point where they were running a six-man rotation a lot in 2021. So I think this year we're going to get the five-day rotation. So or the in the postseason that'll work out to be a four-man, right? Like or a modified four-man, depending on what the off days are and all of that. But like yeah. you won't see them turning to a guy like Corbin Burns will be pitching every fifth day. So that seems to be the plan here. And that's what they're, they're going for with this. Uh, Those things could always change. I mean, presumably then you have Woodruff on Saturday or sorry, Woodruff on Friday, Peralta on Saturday, and then probably some sort of a bullpen game on Sunday. I would imagine, you know, 
I, I would expect we would see a lot of like Julio Tehran on that day. <laughs> you know, just like that. That seems like that would make a lot of sense, right? So, uh, I I think that that's what you're counting on here for going into the the playoffs. And yeah, it's uh, I I did mention on Twitter that I think so. They had this game where um, Corbin Burns on Friday. Uh, even though the Brewers were up big, so there was no question of like of, of any of that. But he threw ninety seven pitches to get through five innings, and but there were five shutdown innings. He just was striking yeah. out a lot of guys and running deep counts, and that could be construed as like a bad thing. I think in the postseason, that's what I want to see Corbin Burns do. Is I want him to throw shutdown. Like I, if he's nibbling and has to be like around the edges and maybe working some deep counts. Um, that's fine because I just want him to stay out of the middle of the zone because that's kind of the only way he gets hurt. Like yeah. it, for the most part, that's how he's going to get hurt, and somebody's going to hit a home run off of him, and then you know that's how he can have a bad start. That more often than not, when Corbin Burns gets into trouble, that's how he gets into trouble. So avoid that and just sort of understand that. Yeah, if Corbin Burns goes five in a playoff game, uh, but they leave having the lead. Uh, they're in pretty good shape because they have a lot of relievers they can turn to one after another to to close that thing out. So the important thing is just throwing up zeros as long as possible. It's really not you're not worried about efficiency so much at this phase of the game. Efficiency is like it's very overrated at this time, especially when you get all these extra off days and you can you can really ride the bullpen to a large extent, too. Yep, I agree with all that. Uh, as to where we're riding, uh, Jim Bowden's house, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that was really amazing, and yet more evidence that that guy is completely clueless about everything. Just checked out, completely checked out. Yeah, I mean, he's he is special. Uh, just Google and look at his wiki page if you want to know. Jim Bowden has earned some some enmity for being a really bad human being, as well as just being completely and utterly clueless when it comes to analyzing baseball. Like yeah. it's he's a joke pretty much all around. All right. Well, on the topic of playoff pitching, the cheese to Wilson Contreras's wine is asking, <laughs> do you think the Brewers offense would score more or less than four runs total over the first two games with the assumed starting pitchers in parentheses and each of the following wild card scenarios? Versus the Cubs, Justin Steele and Kyle Hendricks versus Diamondbacks, Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen. Versus the Marlins, Braxton Garrett and Jesus Lazardo or Edward Cabrera. I'm having a hard time staying optimistic myself and have been pleading to the gods that the Reds can somehow get that third wild card spot. <laughs> uh, Paul, what do you think? The best thing that you can do if you're the Brewers is make the Cubs have to burn guys to get into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And then you avoid this problem altogether because, yes, it is a problem. Those pitchers are all awesome and the Brewers have trouble scoring runs against them. The one other good thing, though, that we should bring up, and uh, we kind of skipped over this as part of Logan's question earlier, is this Brewer offense is not the Brewer offense that struggled for most of the first half. The Josh Donaldson signing was sneaky good. And I kind of feel like with red flag clubhouse guys, Get them this late in the season. They don't have time to do that much damage. They're here to mercenary. They're here to mercenary for a ring and probably be pretty yeah. good citizens. And I mean, I, I know he wasn't even like playing that well, but it's worked out really well. Canna's worked out really well. Um, uh, Carlos Santana's worked out really well. Like this offense actually isn't half bad now. It, it was pathetic for the first half of the season. It's actually, well, not great, 
pretty formidable. And I think that you do grind out at least a few run, maybe not four a game, but I bet I bet you get three against a lot of those guys, which is often enough for the Brewers. So um, I think, yeah, that's tough. And you want to you want to ruin the Cubs' life to make them blow Justin Steele on the last day of the season. That's what you want to do. That's how you avoid this problem altogether. But yeah, I think we're capable of putting some runs up on some of those guys, unlike earlier this year when it was like a guaranteed shutout. Yeah, and they have put some runs on Justin Steele uh, later in this season. Like he hasn't completely shut them down every time out. And he's actually been really bad lately too. He's he's had some He has struggles. been struggling. That's also true. I've been... Cubs have been rough lately, so yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, there's there's some things here, and like Zach Gallen, as somebody who traded for him as the final piece to my team that is now in fifth place in a dynasty league, um, yeah, that he he definitely has not maintained that pace he was on when he was destroying the Brewers uh, early on in the season. Uh, yeah, he 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 is pretty much you know just a, another run of the mill front end starter. Whereas at the beginning of the year he looked like he was you know potentially going to run away with like a Cy Young award. So mm-hmm. he's not as good as he was. And yeah, you're 100% right about all this. Uh, I, I meant to actually bring this up earlier. So since the the trade deadline, since they they went and made those acquisitions, um, the Brewers have a 102 WRC+. plus. They're an above average offense in total. And they're really doing that in large part because um, they're getting on base and they're getting more power from the likes of Santana and Canna, and now Donaldson has added that mix late on too. Though also they've gotten big power spikes from Willie Adamas, uh, Tyrone Taylor. Tyrone Taylor has been on a big power spike too. Like yeah. it's everybody has started hitting a lot better uh, for the most part in this time period than they were before. So yeah, but I mean uh, Milwaukee's since the second half, or sorry, since the the trade deadline, the Brewers are seventh in baseball in on base percentage with a 336 so they're actually doing a good job like putting guys on base um by grinding out at bats like that has been really the thing like canna and santana are both you know they are those kind of guys even though santana's on base percentage has been lower than what you'd expect over this time he's been more just like he's been looking to ambush pitches and, and hit dingers which was really what they needed so that's fine but yeah they've they've done a much better job of getting on base in the second half, and that has been a real driver of their offense being better than what it was in the first half. But these things are fick- they're sorry, they're very uh, fickle, finicky, whatever you want to say. Uh, they can they can go as easily as they they came. So um, you just don't know how long that's going to last. All right, moving on to something I referenced at the top of the show, uh, the incredible shutdown inning by Rowdy Telez to secure the <laughs> playoff spot will go down in Brewers history. Uh, so we've got quite a few questions about it. I'm just going to kind of uh, link them all together here and we'll, we'll talk about this. But Tom Hate's question is, should Devin Williams be worried about losing the ninth to Rowdy? Was that peak position player pitching, or is there a funnier position player you could imagine pitching? Morgoth 10. <laughs> Not really. Is, no. <laughs> Morgoth 10 is asking, in honor of a shutdown man, Rowdy Telez, what's your most memorable position player pitching moment? Doesn't have to be the Brewers. And then on Twitter, at Chet Gristle, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek here, saying, after the sensational pitching 
performance by Rowdy. Can we finally agree that Council is not a good manager? He's had this bullpen ace on the team for two and a half seasons and only used him for one inning. <laughs> Enjoy the managerial incompetence in New York Stearns and Co. Uh, with Stearns and Council misspelled like any true real Twitter rant. Heck yeah. Uh, so, so right off the top, uh, <laughs> Paul, you said no, no funnier position player pitching. It's almost the platonic ideal, right? Of yeah. funny position player pitching. Very large man. Yes, yeah. very large man with who does like you could get like a large first baseman who's got like a gun. Like Adam Dunn was a quarterback at Texas before he became a large unathletic baseball player. And he could actually throw pretty hard. So not as funny. Rowdy just like going up there with 62 mile an hour stuff at the top of the zone is, is great um and it's hard like every other position can throw harder like catchers are have guns you know everybody else except left fielders yelich maybe i guess would be the the one you know what chris davis i think oh, would be God. <laughs> yeah okay somebody who just clearly doesn't have an arm or maybe yeah yeah maybe missing like some ligaments or something yeah <laughs> that's maybe it though paint the corners though yeah, yeah exactly yeah i don't know it also, just rowdy, uh, the the personality wise, I think makes this even mm. better. Because interview was fantastic. Such, so such a deadpan sarcasm that I, ah, uh, amazing. I loved it. Yeah, and all the interviews coming out after the game too. I, I don't know if you saw Corbin Burns's quote where he's like, "Well, that shouldn't have been a strikeout. It was ball four, clearly, and uh, <laughs> he, you know he he got lucky on the call before that, so it should have been another walk. So I'm not." So I, I think mm-hmm. obviously uh, he's the perfect pick, at least for this team. But I guess, Ryan, can you remember any other good position player pitching? I feel like um, mm-hmm. oh, Joe, I got Joe England got a bunch, but I, I can't think of any others. No, the one that uh, I will always go back to is Jeff Cirillo throwing knuckleballs in Arizona. That was a good Ooh. one. Yep. Yeah. And I think he actually did it for the Diamondbacks against the Brewers at one point. And then when the Brewers brought him back uh, in like 2006, seven ish in that era, I didn't look it up, but he also did it. I feel like it happened in Arizona at least one time where he's up there throwing knuckleballs. And that's just special when you have like a position player throwing knucklers. Uh, I know that's that does happen because those are the the kinds of things that he was like, yeah, I was a knuckleball pitcher in high school or whatever. So, yeah, but those are the kind of things that really stand out when it's just it's not only just like a freak show that it's a position player, but also he's throwing like weird freak show pitches as well. And that was Rowdy was also on that on that sort of continuum as well, because that delivery was that was something that was that was was, definitely a delivery. And uh, (laughs) yeah. I've got another memorable non-Brewer one. Um, May 29th, 1993, uh, Jose Canseco pitched for the Texas Rangers and blew his arm out in doing so. Oh, no. Required uh, surgery to repair his arm from that pitching experience, which is the most Jose Canseco thing pretty much ever, (laughs) which is er everything Jose Canseco did was the most Jose Canseco thing ever. So fits right in. Yeah, that that does fit very much right in. And you you get very much the feeling on that one that that's a case of somebody was a little too muscle bound and had uh, didn't have the elasticity in the tissues that uh, I remember watching that one. And like, I think everybody watching that was like, that guy's going to get hurt, just like flying (laughs) wide open. Uh, It was like a guy. Like it was like a guy trying to mimic a major league baseball pitcher, like going full out, like stretching as much as possible, leaning back, rearing up and just I think he was hitting like 70s. So not even that impressive. 
And yeah, he, he hurt himself because he's Jose. Yeah, we need to get Matub on here, and he could talk about the dangers of pitching with too much like muscle mass <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I'll book him. I'll book him for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. I think my favorite ones too are the ones where they're like clearly imitating whatever closer is on the team. So I feel like I've seen one where like somebody did the Mike Fetters yes. like head snap or whatever. Like that. That's always fun. Someone I, I definitely did that, and I don't know who it was, but you are. Yeah. 110 percent correct somebody mimicked that and it was hysterical like and this is this is one of those great things about baseball when it's like when you get into these weird blowouts where it, it just the game ceased to be competitive a long time ago and some weird funny things happen it's one of the true joys of the game and it's kind of a thing that you I don't know if there's equivalents for it in other sports kind of the same way. I guess I guess when you get the the bench mob uh, on in basketball when there's mm-hmm. a blowout, you can get some some fun funny things happening there. But yeah, it, baseball really it's it's one of the great things about it. All right. Uh moving on to actual bullpen pieces. No offense to Rowdy. Uh Bob Peterson is asking, is it time to move another reliever into Piamps' role as top setup man, eighth inning guy when the Brewers are tied or leading? So, you know, we we've kind of referenced this a couple of times. He's seemingly I I think he's maybe just kind of hit the wall or run out of gas, being used so much uh more frequently than he's used to, but uh it's gotten kind of rough at times, Paul, like really struggling to get that third out. He should definitely be in the postseason load load management program, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And with pitchers, it's one of these things where like they probably know exactly what's wrong with him. And whenever anybody is struggling in the bullpen, they probably know exactly whether it's just random slump of BABIP and it's fine or oh, lost a few miles an hour, or lost some weird angle stuff because they monitor the heck out of these guys. So um, I think... James is right that he has started to run out of gas a little bit. You want to see if you can get that back before the playoffs start. Um, and if you don't, then yeah, you, you, you knock him down a few spots at least. Um, but hopefully a little bit of rest uh, livens up the dead arm, which is, it happens pretty frequently and he's fine, but yeah, he should definitely be in load management program for sure, because he does look like he's gassed. Yeah. He does seem like he gives off that vibe. I'm looking at his works baseball page though. And the velocity isn't an issue. So at least from that perspective, uh, he was throwing some of his hardest four seamers of the year in his last outing, um, 95.76, which was the highest I can see going back uh, to that Yankee series. So like he is he has been throwing at least reasonably hard for his standard here. But yeah, it, it doesn't seem quite right. And I think there's also just some inevitable like regression to the mean going on here where Yeah, he was so awesome. That's he was point, so yeah. awesome and just like guys don't tend to put up like one point whatever <laughs> ERAs over the course of a season. But I still think he's he's pretty good. And this is yeah, you, this is a case where you load manage, you make sure you're not using him very often, but you keep him in the games, keep him engaged and hopefully you're good to go for the playoffs you just never know these things can be they're so random and it's so hard to to know for sure um we should mention here that elvis Pigero did go on the il earlier yes yeah, yeah. or actually that happened while we were recording didn't it that move happened while we were recording the last episode um and actually it came to my attention later that the fact that uh the timing of it he Pagero is set with that 
whatever the elbow effusion. That's not the second time we've heard that. Yep. Uh, yeah. He is he is eligible to come off the IL right before the playoffs. So I think that might have had something to do with it too, where they're just like, yeah, we don't need to push this anymore. So how highly he gets used in the pecking order is questionable. I think it would be a, a thing where they're going to want to see what he looks like before they really push him into like high leverage situations. But hopefully, you know, something will come along that will allow him to pitch with a very comfortable large lead uh, so that right. we could see that and kind of get a feel for for where he's at. Price Rosen, our next question this week, asking or saying the umpire umpiring seems super sketch a lot lately over this stretch in close games. That makes me nervous. Do you see it as a potential factor in the playoffs? P.S. Glad they have a day off on a return trip after 17 straight games. So, Ryan, you kind of nodded your head. <laughs> uh, worried about kind of getting ump showed in the playoffs? No, I think in the playoffs, fingers crossed that we don't get any nonsense like that. I think the fact that everybody is just able to look at ump scorecards now and that in a playoff game, it's just going to be so magnified and people will be screaming and howling whenever you get something that's truly like bizarre. It's going to have to force MLB to really use their best guys and not trot out some of these. I know that they like to bring some of these crew chief guys who've been around, you know, the guys who are in their 50s, maybe even pushing into their 60s. But those guys, by and large, are not the best umpires anymore. Um, calling a strike zone is a young man's game. And you all you need to do is go look at Brooks Baseball and look at or Brooks Baseball. Go look at umpire scorecards and yeah. check how long those guys have been around. And you will see that the older guys tend to be worse at that aspect of the game. So uh, but in specific, the thing he's talking about. So I'm not as worried about it for the playoffs. I think they MLB recognizes it needs to use its good umps for the most part. And I fingers crossed they will do that. There's another reason not to worry about it for the playoffs, which is. The Packer pitchers that are most impacted, with one exception, uh, by the zone moving aren't going to pitch as much. Now, I would say Burns is maybe an exception to that a little bit because he can get nibbly. But like Wade Miley, like if he runs into a bad umpire, like if he's if the zone is expanded, it makes him like the best pitcher in baseball. If it's contracted a little bit, he's suddenly unplayable. Like that's where it hits you. And, you know, it. it it's just random when you run into a bad ump what it's going to be. There's no reason to worry about it in the first place. But like, if they're going with all of their studs and all their good bullpen guys, it doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts some other people. So it's also fine for that reason. Yeah. Um, and like Miley, I think, is their fourth starter for the playoffs. Yeah, but obviously too. doesn't start until I think that second series. So mm-hmm. like he wouldn't start in the first series. Like, obviously, he's not going to start in that first series. So it would it would have to be in the second series. And even then, I think... I would have to go back and look at the schedule, but I think they might be able to run right back to Burns if they win that first series. I think they can go right back to Burns in game one because I think it's that Sunday. I think the <laughs> NL starts Sunday, whereas I think the AL starts Saturday. So I, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and double check. But um, yeah, no, you're 100% right about that. The one thing I do want to say is that game on Monday night with Adam Wainwright was the classic case of... I don't know if if MLB set that umpire there for that purpose or whatever this was, but that was the perfect marriage of umpire and pitcher. It um, sure was. Because the only way Adam Wainwright was going to get outs was having a strike zone that was just, you know, 
three football fields wide. And that's exactly what he had. And it's, it's what he needed to be able to get what he did. And he got, he got fortunate along the way as well. But remember that was a one, nothing game. And whoever was pitching against him had himself a great game too. Was it Freddie? I think it might've been Freddie had himself a great game. I think it was Freddie. Yeah. Like he also, or no, it was, I can't remember, but I'm trying to pull it up. Whatever. Yeah. Whoever Whoever it was was also had a great shutdown game in that game. And this was just because, you know, like the strike zone was absolutely massive. All right, uh, let's move on. Andrew S. has a question here asking, with the division and seeing all but wrapped up for the Brewers, do you think now is a good time to give Tyler Black and maybe even Jackson Churio a cup of coffee on the big league roster? Ryan, uh, your thoughts on that? Um, No, I don't think it is because I think... There's first off, I don't know like which spots you take and how you like. I mean, the Brian Anderson spot, sure, fine, you could do it. It's <laughs> whatever. It doesn't. The question coming up in a second. It would be fine. Obviously, Brian Anderson is not playing very much. That that part of it is fine. But I also just don't see like there being a large advantage to it. I don't think it helps Tyler Black's development in any way shape or form and i don't believe you can really squeeze them onto the postseason roster unless you do some injury shenanigans so i i don't see that there's really like a big advantage to be gained there and there is a downside in that those guys don't have to be put on the 40 man this winter and mm-hmm. putting them on the 40 man now means you have to carry them all winter on the 40 man and that is tricky for how the brewers like to do things so if i really thought there would be some major great uh, outcome here where like Tyler Black all of a sudden starts playing and becoming a key contributor that, like fine but I just I, I think that's extraordinarily unlikely and he doesn't really have a place to play anyway so <laughs> it, yep. it's not, not going to happen for the 40 man reason I'm pro cup of coffee generally but the time to do that was like a month ago when you could actually right. vet them properly and maybe get you know lightning in a bottle and you're not going to have the sample size to do that. So fine for their development, but the 40 is going to make it a non-starter. Yep. And you're going to have to burn an option when they don't start with the big yep. league club next year. So that, that's a consideration also. All right. Mark Podscarby asking uh, the question Ryan was referencing earlier. How many starts does Brian Anderson get for the remainder of the regular season? Uh, Paul, and I'm guessing it'll start the day after they clinch the division. <laughs> what do you I mean, think? I guess since they don't seem to, I doubt they care if he gets hurt and, and they're making, ah. it depends on. <laughs> It depends on the level of spite that exists here. (laughs) So it's actually hard to tell because it's been illogical so far. But I'm assuming you throw them out there just to eat innings because why not Mm -hmm. at this point? (laughs) So, I, I, yeah, as soon as it's clinched, maybe. But maybe he just rides the pine, too. It's it's weird, and weird means it's unpredictable. So um, I think they'll play him because you don't want other people to get hurt. But I don't know. bizarre no idea yeah i mean you can play him at third base and right field so theoretically you're just alternating him game to game to game and he probably should play all of the games once it's judged he absolutely should like i would i would think you would do that but stick him at right field who cares it's so yeah that whole situation is so bizarre and We've already beaten it into the ground, much to the chagrin of at least a few of our listeners. So Yeah, no kidding. Let's yeah. move on. Yeah. It's going to be really funny when the Mets sign Brian Anderson this <laughs> winter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
All right. Uh, Jay Google question uh, specifically for Ryan here. What does Josh Donaldson have to do to win Ryan's approval? Game-winning RBI in the playoffs? I mean, <laughs> approval is a, a sticky word here, Jay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he knows that, too. Yeah, but he does. Proceed. He does. No, I mean, uh, I want him to do well because I want the team to do well. So I want him to hit as many dingers as possible and to do whatever is possible to help the team win. I want that. I just, I hate rooting for the guy. So I just, it it always makes my stomach turn a little bit. Like, it's just, I, I don't want him on my team. So, yeah. Next question this week comes from Bill Rabe asking, much talk that this is the best stretch of Brewer seasons ever, i.e. 2018 to 2023. Instead, I maintain that it was 78 to 83, better roster, more competitive division, World Series, no losing seasons, five Hall of Famers to zero. What say you? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think that is a defensible position. They made the World Series. That that roster is good. Um, it is a weirdly offensive, top-heavy um, team construction. One of the problems with the 82 Brewers is their pitching just wasn't very good. It, it's actually, uh, when normalized for era, a very strange World Series where the Cardinals are actually one of the worst offensive teams ever to make the World Series, and the Brewers are one of the worst pitching teams ever to make the World Series, and they just kind of ran into each other. So it kind of depends on your flavor. I don't think that... Uh, there are Hall of Famers on this team right now, but I think Burns is possible. Um, maybe Woodruff. I don't know how pitchers are going to be treated in the future because they pitch so much less than they did in the mm -hmm. past. And sure. some people are going to have to make it. And it's hard to tell today because you can't stack them up with like 300 wins and a whole bunch of strikeouts. So you maybe have a couple and you, you maybe have a couple closer ones when it's all said and done too, though. Who knows? Maybe not. Um but this is no worse than the second best stretch. So um, that's also fine. And if they get a World Series, um, even if they make a World Series, I think it's the best stretch probably with the bullet. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's close. It, it really just really does depend on your flavor, like you're saying. This is it very much those those teams in the 70s, like the 78, 79 teams were incredibly good teams. Yeah. that just don't get the recognition because they couldn't make the playoffs because they were in a, a really, really tough division, duking it out with the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Orioles. You know, like, it was just, those were really, really tough uh, uh, things to overcome. And have they been in the West? Like, they started off, They, but we've talked about that ad nauseum. So, whatever. I, I think <laughs> that it's, yeah, I think that this one, the advantage that this one is going to have probably is longevity, because I don't see this slowing down. I mean, there may be a gap coming. Who knows? They're... I didn't see a gap coming last year, and we had the gap in in making the playoffs. <laughs> so maybe those will come, but I I don't think we're done with like this set of players going forward, um, making the playoffs. Although it's going to be actually, I should say it's it's going to be a, a new generation of younger players who are coming in to replace a lot of these guys. But I think the the pattern is already there, and I think it's already established. So I think they're largely going to go rolling on, and so they might be able to out longevity that other group. Yeah, but it's going to, yeah, they're they're going to need the like the run to the World Series. Though, again, in 1982, the Brewers had to win one playoff series, one five game series to make the the World Series. That was mm -hmm. it. That was the extent of it against a team that wasn't nearly as good as them. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that Angels team not as good as the Brewers in, in 1982. So they were able to do that. And 
this team and all of these teams are going to have to go through at least, you know, two playoff series to make the the World Series. The Brewers are going to have to go through three this year to make the World Series. So it's a much a much higher hill to climb to to do that. Yeah, three series, including possibly two against 200 win teams, right? (laughs) The Dodgers and the Braves. So like uh, it it will not be easy at all. But um, I, I do think it's an interesting thing to think about especially remembering too that 2020 easily could have should have what you know don't count that as a playoff year they were under 500 and only made it because of the expanded uh rounds that year but i you know it it really does i think come down to whether you like you know the harvey's wallbangers offense or the the brewers pitching and defense now and in which is more effective so all right, uh, Devin Bearwolf, another interesting look back at history question here saying, I was reading an article from some publication and they were saying how Mark Canna has been the best deadline acquisition for the Brewers since CeCe Sabathia. <laughs> Do you think that's true? And what are the odds they bring him back for next year? Um, Paul, you know, we've kind of tossed around some names as like other good-ish deadline bats, but uh, I think Canna's kept going, you know, and it's probably fair to ask that question, but I don't know if it's CC Sabathia level. No, it's not CC Sabathia level because nothing will ever mm-hmm. be CC Sabathia level. <laughs> yeah, but uh, for hitter, it probably is. I, I, I'm struggling to think of another deadline or even close to deadline acquisition offensively that's actually kept it up this long. Um, it, they've gotten some decent like rotation parts. Maybe I'm misremembering somebody who contributed and then fell off a map. But uh, it, yeah, as far as offense goes he's worked out far better than I think anybody would have expected. Yeah, I mean, well, first off, CC Sabathia was brought in almost a month before the trade deadline. Right. So they got like almost three full months of him as opposed to, you know, true trade deadline de- acquisitions. So yeah. that also gives him an advantage over anybody you might want to mention here. So, I mean, if we're going to expand it that far, why not go back another month and talk about Willie Adamas? So, you know, he was a guy who was traded for well into the <laughs> season in late May and was you know, what, a four-win player after the Brewers traded for him that year? Yeah, he was. Like, he was, like, the critical piece that really, like, injected life into that team and specifically that offense and and sort of transformed that whole deal. So, like, if we're going to talk about Sabathia, why not extend to him? And then he's still obviously not as good as Sabathia because, as Paul said, nothing will ever be as good as CC Sabathia was (laughs) for those three months. I mean, that's like... Yeah, like you're you're talking about uh, the Mona Lisa here. Like it's there's nothing that good. No, and to be fair, the question is since CC, so I don't yeah. know if it has to surpass. But um, I think this provides an excuse for me to remember my favorite under the radar deadline edition for the Brewers, and it also came in 2008. Uh, easy to forget that Ray Durham had an mm-hmm. 845 OPS yep, and a 122 OPS yeah. plus. That was the same year, though. That was 2008. So, uh, but just crazy to think they got both of those. But man, old man Ray Durham with a 122 OPS plus that year really helped out. Yeah, they got. Uh, I am struggling to remember who this person is. They got somebody who played third base who was a junior who was pretty good. Jerry Harrison Jr. Jerry Harrison Jr. Jr. I feel like was also pretty good as a. That was in 2011, edition. correct? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I think to your guys's point, usually more role players like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But Canada's kind of definitely become a centerpiece of the offense is a big reason why they're above average now. So and they've um, got some other like out of nowhere performances. Drew Pomerantz 
yep. was a big deal, and that was yep. you know Worked in really 2019 well. that was really good, and 2018 uh, or 19 Jordan Lyles also had a really good run for them where they were they're extracting a lot of value there too. So um, yeah, there there have been other guys, but nothing is ever gonna be yeah CC. No. Uh, and real quick before we move on, last part of the question, odds that they pick up that option. I know we've kind of talked mm. about it a couple of times. Are you tempted more, Ryan, to pick up that option, given what he's done? No, I mean, this is a classic case of the team knowing that, hey, they're they're extracting a really good upswing from him and getting a hot couple months from a guy who's a good player, but also nearing the end of his run and nearing sort of the end of his useful life. Um Maybe I could see, and this was brought up, I'm sorry, I can't say by who on Twitter, but I think it's a good shout, uh, the idea that you could possibly pick him up and trade him. But I just don't see much utility for him because they have a lot of outfielders and like there's more on the way and there's you know Garrett Mitchell coming back and there's all of these various guys who are going to be commanding playing time and that you're going to want to see play, especially early next year. You're going to want to sift through and see okay, who's, who's ready to go, who's not? You're going you're gonna to try to do these things. And I think that Kanaha probably mostly gets in the way for that and probably, you know, like at this point in his career is probably a pretty average player. So yeah. I, on a hot streak right now, I'm not saying anything bad about him right now. I'm just saying he's an average player who's on a very good hot streak at the moment. Yeah, he's good, but... Um, he's been invaluable for them, but they're not going. They're not the kind of team to overvalue small sample sizes, and um, unless there's a distinct role for him, and um, th- like they're more likely to get him after like nobody expresses interest and then bring him back. Like that's <laughs> the the kind sure. of thing they do. They're not going to overpay for a little bit of canna. Yeah, I mean, and could you see them picking up and looking to trade? I kind of think that would be a- sure. I feel like that doesn't happen as often as we. Posit it might no, yeah. I mean, they just did it with Colton Wong, so that's why it. Oh, it, they did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they thought, just okay. did it, and so well, and, no, oh, uh, Renfro was already on a contract, so that's yeah, they didn't that do it. Renfro was not a matter of picking yeah. up, but Colton Wong was. They picked him up and then traded him. Maybe you could see something like that happen with Canna, but it, it, yeah, I, I think it's pretty unlikely. And to be honest, what you would get back in that trade would be. Not anything that's going to excite anybody. So I think that would be a true, no. like, for us baseball nerds, we would truly love that. But, I mean, for the the vast majority of people responding to the Brewers' announcement that they've traded him on Twitter would be, who? And, yeah. So, who cares? Bunch of uh, reliever types that throw hards. Think think the Hunter Renfro trade, probably, mm-hmm. right? So. Which you can get good value out of that but yeah there's look at our info trade yeah right but there's there's some risk there too so all right last couple of questions this week my only lemonade asking according to fan graphs william Contreras is officially a five win player now which got me thinking about how significant that is assuming he finishes above five he's only the third brewers catcher to do it joining yasmani grandal and jonathan lucroy who did it four times Lucroy, in fact, is third all time uh, behind only Yount and Molitor in terms of five or seasons. They did it six times each. So mm-hmm. am I crazy or is Lucroy severely underrated as an all time brewer? Paul, what do you think? So kind of, yes. Um, 
Lucroy was very, very good, very, very valuable. He did benefit hugely from the rare, the very brief instance when we understood framing runs, but the league had not adjusted to eliminating everyone who was bad at framing runs. And so Lucroy has a this weird, huge boost that did exist uh, before that, that we just didn't know about. Um, but he gets credit for what a lot of other people don't. He was very good. He was a good offensive player too. He was an outstanding catcher. Um, and I guess he's probably a little underrated by, by the masses, but like, I kind of feel like we mostly get Lucroy as like a, uh, he was a super high value guy for uh, like five, six years and then kind of just tailed off really quickly, which is what he was. So yeah, that's about right. Yep. That's exactly it. I mean, look at these, these uh, wars by year. In his first year, 297 plate appearances, 75 games. He got up to 3.6 war. Yeah. Five <laughs> he was point... so good at that. Yeah. If 5.8 in 136 games in 2011. In 2012, that was the year he broke his hand. He only played 96 games and he put up six war. Oh, my six. God. <laughs> I'm mad about that injury all over again. Anyway, seven war. Ahead. 2014 8.2 and Paul is 100% right here this is in that time period when dumb teams were still running out the Ryan Domitz of the world who were putting up (laughs) Ryan Domitz exactly where my brain went to that that Jack Parkman looking guy uh he uh yeah like those guys were still in the game and were still catching before teams realized you just can't have those guys catch you just can't it you hemorrhage too much value too quickly you just you, you can't do it um, but I mean, I remember those days because that was the point when like it was still like cool and outsidery to be like, so there's this thing called pitch framing and like Luke Roy's really, really good at it. And it's making him one of the most valuable players in baseball. And like around that time, I think it was when Fangraphs actually incorporated into their war. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, everybody's wars went like all these catchers like Yachty. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, Cardinals fans think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh. And then. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, he actually has Hall of Fame level numbers, even though I still hate yep. him. Um, and like, so it happened kind of around this the same time. And Lucroy's uh, career, like that, I mean, thirty-seven point one WAR. There are catchers in the Hall of Fame with less WAR than that. There <laughs> definitely are. And so, yeah, he he is a severely underrated player from that perspective. But also, was essentially washed. He never put up a win uh, again in any season after his age 30 season that he split between Milwaukee and Texas or wait, where did we trade him? We tried to trade him to Cleveland. No, traded him to Texas after he nixed the Cleveland trade. And then for Lewis Brinson, who we traded for Christian Yelich and yeah. Yep. Yep. Butterfly flaps its wings. (laughs) All right. Last question this week, Adam post asking should the brewers build an entertainment district in one of the current parking lots if so what would you want included in the district <laughs> uh we won't spend 45 minutes on stadium talk but ryan uh i i saw this idea floating around milwaukee media uh especially considering you know the the brewers are asking the city and the county to to pay a significant portion so the city says hey let us redevelop that site uh, brewers are probably going to say fat chance because they're going to do it anyway and take all the money. Right. But uh, I guess <laughs> which one of the parking lots <laughs> would you pick and uh, what do you want included in there? 
Okay, so yeah, we have to talk about this as a, a larger issue because this is complicated, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what this would be and how this would go if it happened. And <laughs> I think that the the reality of this is, um, first off, all these people who got really mad at Rick Schlesinger because he was like talking about tailgating culture and all this stuff, let me assure you that nobody, and I mean nobody, would like to shut down tailgating in the uh, Brewers parking lots before games and have people come into an entertainment district that the team owns uh, two hours before the game to start drinking and eating and having overpriced food and drink um, than the Brewers. Nobody would rather have that situation than them. Um, but that's exactly what it would be if this does happen. If you do end up with... Uh, some sort of entertainment district on this land that is currently owned by the the whatever the Southwest Stadium District. I always forget the exact name of it, but the the Stadium District that's going to be on Brewers' property essentially, and they're going to demand that they are the ones who like develop it and get to be the money makers in this situation. And I think you need to understand what that's going to do to the existing Brewers Entertainment District, which is 15 minutes walk up the road on Blue Mound Road. And that hundreds, thousands of people every game shuttle down from that area to the park already as it is. And so this would not be simply creating something where nothing existed before. This would be replacing and putting a lot of those places at least under stress. They would lose a lot of business. And I think that also is a tricky political proposition for this whole thing. And part of why I think the Brewers have been very delicate and careful about talking about it because they don't want to get into the whole thing of, yeah, we're going to build an entertainment district. It's going to be ours and we're going to make a ton of money off of it and go suck it bars on Blue Mound. So I think that would be a political landmine as well for this whole thing. So they don't necessarily want to get there. But I more than anything, I want you like, people to hear me say that like the brewers would very much like to do this but they would be the ones benefiting from it and Mm -hmm. it would it would be to their great benefit not so much and you can count on any deal that would be struck that would create that would be structured as in such a way that like they would benefit a lot more than say taxpayers getting tax revenue out of it so just that that would be the way this would go because that's the way this has gone when stadium entertainment districts have gone up in areas around here. The Atlanta situation, just look into the Atlanta situation if you want to see like what this is and how that goes because the Braves essentially control all the area around there and it's they're benefiting off of all the pregame stuff as well as the game stuff. So that's my spiel. Uh, it's dumb not to have stuff and just have parking lots. You can have tailgating and have stuff there that's fun to be around and uh, an attraction year round. But you actually, uh, I think that they should not build it because eventually someone should be targeting and having a stadium downtown like grown-ups do and uh, not in the <laughs> middle of a parking lot. So if you build infrastructure out there, that basically makes it impossible for that to happen. So let's not do that. Let's, uh, have, a, let's have bigger targets than that, please, uh, and go from there. So how long a time horizon do you think that would be? 50 years. Okay. Half a century. Yeah, I mean, because the current deal they're talking about, we weren't going to get into this too deep, but they're talking about doing 27 years, so up to 2050, so a 27-year thing. And yeah, I think if you were to continue to build out the infrastructure down there, especially if you were to do what some of the the real, like, rosy-eyed 
uh, things have been where they're, you're creating a whole mixed use residential commercial area and like actually really developing up the Menominee Valley down there, which I, I, certainly I look at it and I go, yeah, that seems like it'd be pretty cool and probably be a good thing. But it's, it would be better than doing nothing. It which would. Is, right. Like, but I, uh, it's, it is currently a boon to Scooby-Doo villains around the stadium, and we should probably <laughs> do something about that. Um, but um, people seem against that, and I'm fine with them moving at some point to downtown. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the issue with moving downtown is where and how are you going to have the parking space to accommodate the way people want to brewers, right? Because yeah. that's part of how they want to do it. There's people talk about like Lambeau Field. Yeah, there's there's not that many parking lot spaces around Lambeau Field. Yeah, because you're parking in people's lawns. Right. right. And yes. that actually right. is a whole, like, it's its own little sub-economy that has sprung up over the years uh, in its own right. There are v- not many places in downtown Milwaukee that would do that. The best I've heard has now since been occupied, because they were talking about where the Harley Museum was, right? Or, sorry, where the Harley Museum is was what was kind of discussed as a potential site back when they built Miller Park <laughs> in the first place. So Put it on the lakefront, just south of all the freeway crap it would be (laughs) super super pretty and that's what like in an ideal world if you could go back and be like this is what we should do we should hold this piece of land to do this and we're going to do that in Uh an ideal world that's what you would do that's correct yes but you already have a lot of stuff currently to like honestly the the summerfest grounds that would be a good place to do something like that but it would the summerfest grounds are already there and they're not going anywhere so there's lots of there's lots of room. Milwaukee's quite empty. This is not that hard. <laughs> well, especially if 794 goes down, which yes. that would create a lot just of do space. The, just literally just do that. That's very simple. Yeah, like that would be. But there's there's all kinds of tricky political stuff. We're gonna get into this at some point. We've we've <laughs> kind of danced here, around yeah. this. We're gonna get into this at some point. But I think we have some time, <laughs> unfortunately, to to discuss it because I don't think this is going to get resolved anytime in the super near future um going by what some of the things have been said but yeah i mean there's there's all kinds of historical things you could wish to go back and do things differently but yep there's there's lots of things about the city you'd like to do differently historically <laughs> that would yes. make it a lot better this is actually relatively low on the list of things that you'd like to change historically about how certain decisions of like what we're building in certain spaces publicly um how those decisions were made we'd like to go back and undo a lot of that stuff but it is what Welcome it is to american history right. yes exactly <laughs> All right, that'll do it for questions this week. Thanks, everybody who sent one in. A reminder, go to patreon.com slash tailgate. Sign up for two bucks a month. You'll get your question answered here. Uh, new patrons also get a shout-out here on the podcast when they join up. Ryan, who do we have this week? So we have Shark McCarthy. So definitely that that uh, really sounds like <laughs> a Discord name, right? Now it's time to guess football, Discord, or baseball. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have uh, Maxwell Board. Uh, thank you. We have Pat. Uh, just Pat. Um, just Pat. Sweet. Just Pat. And we have uh, Jeff Augustine, who has bumped from two to five. So Jeff is now in line to receive all those sweet, sweet Woo. previews and minor league extras and all that stuff. So sweet. thanks, everybody. Thank you all for joining. Awesome. Appreciate we it. We do appreciate it. Yes.
definitely do appreciate it. And uh, we will appreciate it when you join us next week uh, as the Brewers wrap up the last couple of series here. They've got the, of course, the Cardinals and the Cubs to close things out. And as Paul has said, goal number one, make sure you're four games up before the start of that (laughs) series. It'll be better for everybody involved. Uh, But we will be back to recap all of that and uh, the start of the playoffs, whatever they may hold for the Brewers. We'll be back to talk about that as well. So thank you for joining us this week, everybody. Have a good one, and we will see you then on Milwaukee's Tale.